invite you to rise as you are able as we receive our gospel lesson this morning. And that lesson comes from the gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter, and it begins at the first verse. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. A few years ago, there was a man, you can think of him being about my age, and he was on a vacation in a very exotic place. It's called New Mexico. He was traveling with his young adult daughter. I have three of those, so I understand the dynamics. Anyway, the two of them were in Santa Fe, and they stopped for some fruit in a local grocery store there, and after picking out what they wished to have, they headed for the checkout line. While they waited their turn, the man just happened to glance up, and he saw the couple that was ahead of them waiting to pay for their own groceries. The woman to him was a total stranger, but the man who was ahead of him, he thought he recognized. He thought that man resembled the actor named Alan Arkin. In fact, the more he stared and studied that man, the more he was sure that he was looking right at Alan Arkin. So he whispered to his daughter the predictable. He said, I think that's Alan Arkin. To which you might imagine she replied, who? That's the generational thing, right? So he quietly mentioned some movies in which Arkin had had the leading role. Movies like The Heart as a Lonely Hunter and Wait Until Dark and The 7% Solution and, of course, Catch-22. The daughter, of course, had never heard of nor seen any of those movies, but she noticed that the man that her father thought was Arkin was writing out a charge slip at the register at this point, and so she just snuck a little peek at it as he was signing it. And what he, she saw was, in fact, the name Alan Arkin. Well, after the father and the daughter had paid for their groceries and they headed for the door, as might, be the, might have been the, predicted the case, there was Mr. Arkin standing just outside the door by the curb, seemed to be waiting for the car to drive up and, and pick him up. And so the father told Mr. Arkin that 
he thanked him very much for his work over the years, and he'd enjoyed his movies very much, and Arkin thanked him in return. But when his companion arrived in the car, he quickly jumped in the car, and they zoomed off. It seemed as if Mr. Arkin was concerned he might have been recognized. Now, of course, you notice that the father recognized Arkin, but the daughter from a different generation did not. But you know, Mr. Arkin is not a has-been. This story happened roughly three years ago, and at that point, and even now, he's still a working actor. At that time, he had a recurring role in a TV series, and he had two movies in production. But still, time had passed, and he wasn't the big star that he once had been. If you think about it, that's sort of the nature of fame, isn't it? One day you're hot, as they say, and you cannot show your face in public without being mobbed by fans. And the next day, well, you're simply not hot. And you can, you can go to the grocery store, and the only one there who recognizes you is some old guy with a memory for faces. Palm Sunday, today, reminds us that a similar observation could be made about Jesus as he entered Jerusalem on that first Holy Week, the final week of his earthly life. On Sunday... On that first Palm Sunday, he was the hottest news in Jerusalem. The hubbub that his donkey-mounted entrance caused into the city is pure evidence of that. But by the next Friday, it was an entirely different story. Only those few short days later, Jesus was no longer mounted on a donkey. He was mounted on a cross. And then the next day, on Saturday... Jesus of Nazareth was yesterday's news. Today's gospel reading is from the day when Jesus was a huge celebrity. And the general public rolled out their equivalent of a red carpet for him. On that occasion, the carpet was made of palm branches and the cloaks off of their backs. There was a reason for this, of course. The Jews were hopeful Hopeful this was the answer to their problems. They had been a subject people, subject to the heavy thumb of the Roman Empire for far too long. They were forced to pay extremely heavy taxes to support their overlords who lived far away in Rome. They had the history of past days of glory and independence to call upon, but those days, those days were long gone. And there seemed to be little prospect for revival for the nation of Israel. Nevertheless, the scriptures that they studied lifelong were full of, of messages of a coming Messiah, a man who would be a descendant of David. This one would come to redeem them. And many of the Israelites assumed that this meant that the promised one would help the people throw off any foreign government by force if necessary and then set the Israelites up as a mighty, independent nation once again. And after everything they'd heard about this Jesus, and knowing that he was, in fact, from the family line of the once King David, many people had come to think that he just might, he just might be the promised Messiah. And so when Jesus of Nazareth made his public appearance into Jerusalem, coming on a donkey as he did, coming through the golden gate where the Messiah was expected, 
coming for the Passover festival, the most important day on the Jewish calendar, the crowd swarmed around him and they shouted, Hosanna! And that word in Hebrew literally means, please save us. But this word has another meaning. It's also used to praise the one who enters through that golden gate, the Messiah, the one who enters in the name of the Lord. In other words, shouting Hosanna was a way of saying that Jesus is the Messiah. It was a way of identifying him. Even the palm branches showed their expectations. Crossed palm branches had been an emblem of Jewish independence back in the days of their glory. It was a symbol used on the most common coin in the Israel nation at that time. It had been so since way back in the days of the last ruling family, the Maccabees, who ruled during Jewish independence. Since the Maccabees, they had been subjected as a Roman client state. Now we know everything that symbolized Jesus, everything they hoped for in that day was true. It turned out to be true. But we have the benefit of hindsight, 2,000 years of it. And we now know that the kingdom Jesus came to bring in was not a kingdom of this world. The original Palm Sunday crowd did not and could not realize that, however. They were in the excitement of the moment. In the weeks leading up to the original Palm Sunday, Jesus told his disciples several times. He told them again and again that he was going to Jerusalem and he was going there for a purpose. The reason for going to Jerusalem for Jesus was to die. At least once his disciples tried to turn him away from that way of thinking. That's when Jesus called Peter Satan, as in Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to Jerusalem. Still, on this day, as he enters that capital city, Jesus seems to go along with a celebrity-style entrance. In fact, with the preparations, it appears that he made, sending two of his disciples to go and get a, a donkey and a foal of a donkey for the journey, it seems as if Jesus may have even planned this event, even though he knew everything was going to go very sour in just a few days. With that in mind, what they say about Hollywood was probably true of ancient Jerusalem as well. In Hollywood, they say, people there are always touching you. Not because they like you, but because they want to see how soft you are. And they want to see how soft you are before they eat you alive. All that was just a few days off for Jesus, however. And so on this day, Jesus got the red carpet treatment. He was, in the public view, a superstar. One to whom the adoring crowds attached super expectations. The crowd, the crowd no doubt, noted that Jesus rode on a donkey. And those who knew their Old Testament scripture may have thought of the messianic text that comes to us from Zechariah, which reads, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. 
Yet, had that crowd been alert to the symbolism of the event, they might have remembered that the donkey not only identified Jesus with that text from Zechariah, but it also identified Jesus as a man of peace. Jesus came into the city not riding on a horse. That would have been the kind of transportation for a conqueror to have been upon. But he came instead on a donkey. A donkey being, for them, a symbol of humility and peace. And compared to a war horse, a donkey was a sign of weakness. That's what I said. A sign of weakness. Consider that just a few days later, Jesus was deserted by those closest to him. And consider also that only a few, a very few, from the Palm Sunday crowd that cheered him so lustily remained to support him when Thursday and Friday came around. Recall also that even knowing that Judas, one of his own disciples, was going to betray him, Jesus did nothing to stop that man. Remember that Christ died by public execution like a common criminal. I ask you, where is the strength in any of that? And yet, looking back, we discover that it was the weakness of all that that brought salvation into the world in a way that no act of super strength could have ever done. The Apostle Paul, writing later to the Corinthians, said that the world would not be saved by unmistakable signs or by wisdom or by powerful acts. Rather, Paul said, we are saved by the foolishness of what is preached, the weakness of Christ's followers, and the folly of a Savior who led the, let the world nail him to a cross. Paul wrote these words, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are. There's one more thing to note from the scripture reported this day, and it's the one I'd like you to take most careful note of. Although this was the day of greatest human fame for Jesus, it was then still an age without the news-spreading technologies that you might have in your pocket or pocketbook right now. And because of the number of pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover, there were apparently a good number of people who did not know that day who Jesus was. I say this because according to the report I read from you from the gospel, there were some people who saw all the commotion from Christ's entry and they asked, who is this? The answer they received was, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And brothers and sisters, I believe that to be a rather unsatisfactory answer. Prophets, uh, clearly, are those who speak for God. And in that sense, the people who answered the question, who is this, were correct. But we know, through the lens of 2,000 years, that Jesus is much more than that. He was and is the Savior of humanity. Once we realize this all-important truth, then we need to turn that question the crowd asked around, that question, 
who is this? And we ought to ask a little different question. We ought to ask ourselves, who am I in relationship to him? Palm Sunday urges us to ask that question every single year. And this day calls us to answer it, not with the comment celebrities sometimes hear, you know, hey, I'm one of your fans. That's not the answer. The answer is a reply only appropriate to the Savior of the world who is sent to earth by God the Father. And that response is, I am one who is saved by your grace. Amen.